You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another edition of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. I'm finally back, guys, after two weeks following Indiana and Purdue. Hey, yeah. You ran both programs into the ground. Well, anything happened while I was gone? Anything <laughs> no, important? Not a bit. No, nothing at all. So, I, I, who knows? Maybe I have thoughts that will that will bubble to the top sometime dur- during this podcast. We'll have to get to them. But uh, anyway, hey, you're back this week, and things have been pretty quiet on the Colts front. Yeah, maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe you should, maybe yeah. you should get back out of town. We'll yeah, sign right. another player. The crazy <laughs> stuff happens. We'll see if I can uh, convince them to send me somewhere. Maybe I can go to the Final Four. Um, but anyway, we'll discuss Jim Irsay's recent comments as he finally goes on the record at NFL owners meetings about everything that went down with Carson Wentz, or at least everything that he is uh, one to tell us about what he thinks about Carson Wentz on the record. Um, we'll discuss the Colts' approach to free agency so far, break down the cornerback prospects with four weeks until the NFL draft. Could be a position of note and of need for the Colts since they got rid of one of them to try to solve their edge rush issue. And I know you guys discussed that very much at length. Uh, But first, we'll just start with the news around the league and with the Colts in particular. Um, The NFL has changed some rules in this owner's meeting, uh, specifically referring to playoff overtime. It is actually the Colts, along with the Eagles, that proposed this rule change. Um, Now both teams will possess the ball in overtime. And if both teams score touchdowns, then the game goes into sudden death after that. Uh, Mike, this is something that happened. Uh, It became very much under the microscope. It's been under the microscope since this was a rule that a touchdown can win the game for you, but very much so after last year's playoffs, specifically the Chiefs-Bills game. That was a tremendous offensive shootout between two great offenses, two great quarterbacks. Chiefs get the ball first in overtime and it's done and just felt like there was something lacking at the end of that game. It just didn't pack... It, it, it didn't deliver the payoff you were expecting, I think, for from the fans' perspective. So um, so this is at least beginning for now postseason competition that both teams are required to get one possession on offense in overtime. Wasn't it the case two years ago with the Chiefs and Tampa? I think so. So so this – yeah, the issue – I guess when you, when you look at it, why not regular season? And the numbers showed a dramatic difference in – first possession or team that, that wins uh, the flip. It was like 58% in the playoffs. The team with, with the ball first won in, in the regular season. This is like since 2012. It was like 18%. Right. Which tells you in the playoffs you're getting uh, elite quarterbacks. That's what it's about. And the idea that Josh Allen is sitting there watching, it's it's not conducive. I think what's going to be interesting is it's it's unquestionable in the under the old system that on the coin flip, if you want it, you took the football. Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd had to. Now, now, do, do you do you defer? And if you hold a team to, to nothing or or to a field goal, you know you know it's it's kind of like in in colleges when you you, you want to be on defense, so you know what you have to do. So right, that could be a change. It was coming. Uh, th- th- this is a quarterback driven league. Deshaun Watson, two hundred thirty three million guaranteed. Big money. So they they want their quarterbacks. To play, and it, it's a like with all the rules protecting quarterbacks and losing quarterbacks. This 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 impacted by not having your meter quarterbacks have a chance. So 
this was coming. Also, in the in the vote was like twenty nine to three. Yeah, and the, the three teams that didn't, I think the Vikings were one of them, and I forget who the other two were. At least according to a report that I saw on Twitter. Um, but but anyway, yeah, you're right. It was it was very very much a widely favored measure across the NFL. And uh, Joe also noting this rule specifically: if if the first team spends uh, fourteen minutes and and thirty seven seconds on their first drive then the second team still gets like the full the, it's basically an untimed drive an untimed possession they get oh, okay. yeah that that's how i saw it is that uh, you, you don't just get 27 seconds to score there at the end you know and, and see if you can actually make it so they're trying to give some kind of a fair assessment to the second drive after the first drive i'd say if a team possessed the ball for a whole quarter they deserve to win the ball yeah game. right make a stop for crying out well, loud I mean, that's still what it comes down to, right? You still, at the end of the day, to win the game, have to make a stop. Either hold them to a field goal or hold them to nothing. If both teams, you know, if Josh Allen gets the ball again in overtime, scores another touchdown, Kansas City gets the ball back in sudden death. So at the end of the right. day, you got to get stops to win football games. In one unintended consequence, you're trying to make this fair. It's still not fair because let's say the first team scores a touchdown. The second team is basically in four-down mode. Yeah. So they're not thinking, you know. So so the first team that, that gets the ball, you're you're in normal mode where it's if if it's fourth and three, you know, at your own forty, you're probably going to punt. But if you're if you're coming back to to to, to score again, you're in four down mo- mode and you're not going to be punting. Couldn't the second team then go for two to win the game and not so I, give the ball back? I assume so. Sure, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty interesting. That so and, and again, it, it's it, it's good to see, but the the bottom line is they they don't want. One of these 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 great quarterbacks be sitting there twiddling his thumbs when the game's over. The NFL has announced the 2024 NFL Draft will be held in the city of Detroit after next year's draft in Kansas City. Uh, uh, Joe, making a question: Will Indianapolis be able to host a draft soon? You certainly expect that Indianapolis is Mike ever, has every capability of hosting a draft, and uh, they're certainly circling around the Midwest. Maybe it uh, maybe it comes to Indy sometime in the near future. Yeah, because one thing also that came out of the uh, the meetings, nothing. It, it was more speculation, on, and this is probably from talking to GMs and coaches. Is there's a is there's a decent chance that the combine comes back to Indy? It's hard to be better than the best in twenty twenty three. Now that doesn't mean that they're not going rotation. Right. But when I talked to uh, the combine guy Jeff Foster a while ago, he said there was a chance it would come back one more year because maybe the next site Dallas or LA wasn't ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and again, one thing that one one thing that's kept the Colts, the Colts, Indianapolis from getting the draft, is they've got the combine. So it's really hard for the league to shovel all of this to, to one to one city. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And, and Jim Irsay was very impassioned about a lot of things, which we'll get to. <laughs> but about the combine, and he said, "This is ours." And he's talking city. This, this is ours. He said it, it's a tradition, and he and he compared it to. Dallas and Detroit having Thanksgiving games, and they they keep those games because it's tradition. Well, this is a tradition for Indianapolis for thirty five years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's going to go in rotation. Perhaps the combine comes back this year, and as long as the combine is here, it's hard for Indy to get the draft. But they want to get in that draft rotation as well. The Lions will also star in HBO's Hard Knocks this summer. Uh, not the in-season version of Hard Knocks. Have anybody heard if there's going to be another in-season next year? I have not, no. I, I haven't heard, but okay. why wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. It, it certainly if seemed to go over well the first time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 
Um, so they will be in the offseason version. Uh, Chris Ballard has said he didn't think Hard Knocks was a distraction this past season. I would certainly be interested to hear. I know we never will, but like what the NFL films guys who are going through all this tape thought about the whole Carson Wentz situation. Because if you you, you start hearing things about about leadership, about coaching, like what do they have on tape that would either uh, confirm or deny these reports? Maybe these tapes have already been set fire to uh, be, behind the scenes. But I, I was told there wasn't a lot of editing and things left on the floor. That's what I heard too. So, so maybe they uh, just didn't even try but, to put some it, things there. Leadership is such a an ambiguous term. You're completely right. And you know, the, this guy's got the it factor, and this guy doesn't. It's but, and we'll get into it. Something went on. We're never going to get the whole story because players seldom, if ever, call out a, a teammate or a mm-hmm. former teammate. So. Uh, we'll get into it with Ursay in a few minutes. Uh, Tariq Glenn, Mike Chapel at it's long about last. About darn time. At long last. We'll go into the Colts' ring of honor, as Jim Ursay said on Tuesday. Uh, ten seasons with the Colts after being drafted in the first round in 1997. He started 154 of a possible 160 games. He played for the Horseshoe, voted to three straight Pro Bowls in the mid-2000s, won Super Bowl 40, uh, 41 over Chicago, and retired uh, that was his final game, winning that Super Bowl with the Colts. Mike, you've uh, championed some of these Colts from the past, making it to the running honor. Just doesn't need to be the Colts that lasted through the entire 2000s uh, up until that 2012 kind of exodus back then. So uh, at, at long last, Tariq Glenn will earn his rightful place up there. And, and I was never disparaging the guys that got in. Right. Freeney Mathis, Reggie, Edger, and all that. I just thought there, there, there should have been a, a, a line. And, and sometimes when you get past people, it, it's hard to get them back in, in the in the in the loop, so to speak. But Tarek was as good as as there was. And, and it's funny. I always go back to how people complained those false starts. Won a game. You know, the game doesn't start until Tarek gets a false start. <laughs> I defy anybody to, to to name more than one or two times when Peyton Manning got blown up, just flat blown up because the left tackle blew his assignment. Uh, quality player, quality person. Uh, he's found life after football. I think he's a he's something at, at Cal Berkeley. I mean, uh, in, in, on their staff and well deserved. And uh, now we got to try to get some of the former, you know, the older Colts, a, a Jeff Harrod or a Eugene Daniel. But this was a good step. Those are certainly two big names from the past: Harrod, Daniel, um, Joe. What other names uh, from uh, more recent years do you think are, could be uh, up in uh, the Ring of Honor in the years to come? I think the big one no one wants to talk about is: Do you put Andrew Luck in the Ring of Honor? Mm. Oh boy, that's going to be. And, and I think opinions would be very strong on both sides to that. I'm going to say that the safest way to get Andrew Luck in the Ring of Honor is to have Matt Ryan lead them to a Super Bowl this year, because then you can forget about Andrew Luck. You know, as long as they're in quarterback purgatory, it's going to be there by him. Yes. Exactly. It's going to be very difficult to have a 65,000 fan-filled Lucas Oil Stadium behind putting Andrew Luck in the Ring of Honor, in my opinion. I agree with that. I mean, I think currently it, it, he was such a great player for them for, what, six, seven, eight years? But Six, I believe it was. Six years. But they it's not like they won a Super Bowl. They got to the AFC Championship game once. He led them to the playoffs his rookie year after they had the worst record in football. Um, so, I mean, it's something I'm kind of torn on, but if I had to bet, I think he eventually gets in there one day. I would think the next one, if we're going to look at that, is maybe a Bob Sanders, if you look at the guys. Because I don't think they're going to go after Tariq, go further back. They're going to try to 
tap into the 2000s. Bob Sanders, uh, mm-hmm. Dallas Clark is probably a Those borderline two, yeah. guy. But mm-hmm. Bob Sanders, when you think that Super Bowl and that Super Bowl run, you think Bob Sanders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, defensive player of the year one year. Right. Yeah. There's been a couple of defensive players going in recent years, obviously. Mathis, Syracuse's own Dwight Freeney. And, uh, yeah, maybe Bob Sanders comes back next year. Um, let's see. Colts have hired John Fox as a senior defensive assistant on their staff. 67-year-old John Fox, a former head coach who took multiple teams, the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos, to Super Bowls. Frank Reich, uh, his quote uh, reads, A great compliment to Gus Bradley. Our goal with John coming in was not for him to bring his system to us, but for him to come in and learn our system and contribute some of his experience. Uh, Mike, I think anytime you can get somebody with uh, great the the NFL experience that John Fox has, that's a good thing. Um, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, part of it also like it, it definitely raised an eyebrow for me to have a guy with this much head coaching experience brought in on a team that has underperformed the past couple years. That's the first thing that came to my mind. A successful head coach in the past comes in as just some random role. It's not really a specific offensive or defensive coordinator role. And I, I don't know if Frank Reich is under uh, under the microscope or under fire or on the hot seat, I guess. But you certainly have a guy there you know that can, that can take over. At least that's the first thing that popped into my head. Maybe I'm completely if, if wrong. They get, but if they get to another one and five start. Exactly. Or right. something but, like that. And you can't help but think that. Yeah, I, I I I can't imagine outside of an, another, just not another, but a, really a horrific start. Right, and to where the, the the owner says, "Man, we we this won't work. We can't let this thing go." I can't imagine it getting that bad, and it would have to get really, really bad for Jim Irsay to step in. Now he stepped in on the win situation. He did. That's a, they I, can, I was going to say that you they got can, to it they before can I tap did. dance all they want. This was Jim Irsay driven. This what people have to understand. This is not Bob Ursay. This isn't a meddling Ursay who 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 wants his uneducated fingerprints all over things. For the most part, for the most part, Jim Ursay has put people in place. Tony Dungy, Bill Polian, even Grigson and in in Pagano, and now with these guys, and said, "Run run my team," and I'll I'll offer input, serious input, but for, by and large. You can run my team. Well, th- he changed with this. He did. Changing coaches in the middle of the year would take it would take something dramatic, and yeah. I, don't, I, I, I it's hard to say what dramatic is, but but no, you have to think that because now they've got two former head coaches. You got Gus Bradley as mm-hmm. well. So I wasn't going to include Gus Bradley in that since his time with Jacksonville was very much. But he's not on the same level as right. Exactly, John Fox, the John Fox is on a different Correct. level. Correct, right there. So, Joe, what was your reaction to seeing John Fox being hired? Maybe not as uh, as overdramatic as me. Uh, maybe just a little bit, a uh, little bit less so. I didn't. I didn't have that thought of him mm-hmm. taking over for Frank Wright. I just kind of thought that it fit within the leadership movement that they're kind of bringing in guys and coaches to be assistants, just in that locker room who can provide leadership and provide uh, like the experience that John Fox has when he speaks. Players should listen to that because he's been. To where they're trying to go, which sort is sort of recently Super Bowl. too. It's not like he's he's back in the in the nineties. This guy coach was last year in seventeen or eighteen. So yeah, he's been around. Chicago, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, now that brings us to Jim Irsay. I know we've touched on it a couple of times, but spoke with a couple members of the Indianapolis media down in what is it, Palm Beach West or West Palm? Palm? Beach. Yeah. Uh, suffer, suffer! What a horrible trip. <laughs> 
we need to be able to get down there instead of it looked like it was like 75 it did sending me to portland and uh philly in back-to-back weeks so i won't complain about going to philly that's home for me originally and it was national cheesesteak day the other week did you say hi to my daughter when you were there i did not i'm sorry she did not come up to me thanks for nothing yeah for real Jeez. next time sakes alive uh anyway jim ursay spoke with the media on tuesday at the nfl owners meetings uh had uh, several comments on several topics but most of note were his first on-the-record comments uh, dealing with letting go of quarterback Carson Wentz. Um, on Wentz, Ursay said, quote, When you have a situation where you're struggling, your guy's got to pick you up and carry you through Jacksonville, end quote. So, acknowledging there that the team was not performing well in Jacksonville, Ursay was disappointed that Carson Wentz couldn't overcome the inefficiencies or inconsistencies or inadequacies of the rest of the team by himself and lead them to a win there. Because he's had quarterbacks that can do that in the past. Andrew Luck could do that. Peyton Manning could do that. He goes back to Burt Jones in, uh, in Baltimore mm-hmm. who did that. Teams, like one quarterback on a, like one elite quarterback can carry a team. And Carson Wentz did not do that. Should, should carry a team. Yes. You can say that. Yes. Against Jacksonville. Uh, next quote for us, the fit just wasn't right. End quote. Next quote. The worst thing you can do is have a mistake and try to keep living with it going forward. Don't try to extend the problem now, but he wasn't a scapegoat, but he's not a scapegoat. That's what also what Jim Irsay said that, which, which like you look flies at something in the face of what everything look, you said after of that. the exactly the other quotes. It, it, it's just that Jim Irsay doesn't want to label him the scapegoat. He doesn't want to put that that specific label on him, but from his other cop comments, it very much defines what a scapegoat is. Correct. Saying that this is a mistake. You can't live with it. You can't extend the problem. He has got to pick you up and carry you through Jacksonville. So he is the problem. He is not good enough. So he has to go. That's what led, led, just make no mistake about that. If you're listening to what Jim Ursay says. It is very much a contradiction saying he's not a scapegoat and then saying everything else that he said. Now, Ursay has also been fairly criticized by several members of national media, national analysts, NFL Network, ESPN, for some of these comments on Carson Wentz. Um, local media, too, but I wasn't going to get into that specifically. It's more broad, broad and wide-ranging than that, so it's not just us here with uh, a local reaction. It's a national reaction from former players, former coaches, former GMs as well, whatever it is. So, and I think, Joe, the, the reason, I guess, behind some of this criticism uh, comes from, you don't hear this too often from especially ownership talking about uh, players or their uh, their abilities or their lack thereof or issues on their way out. It's just not common that you hear things like this, so I think it probably catches some people off guard. Yeah, I would definitely label Orsay as one of the more eccentric owners in the NFL. Let's, go, let's um, give him credit also for being a former GM, so he has a lot more NFL experience than some of these former owners do. Let's put that out there, Absolutely. Too. I mean, he's been a GM. He's been the guy making these decisions. And I also wonder if part of this is Ursay trying to not take heat off of, but say this was my decision as opposed to Chris Ballard or Frank Wright decision, kind of put more of that onus on him to say, this was me making this call. This wasn't Chris Ballard or Frank Wright turning his back on his guy. 
um, just kind of setting everything out there and um, giving his reasons for why uh, Carson Wentz had to go. Personally, I, I don't really mind Ursay saying what he's saying. I mean, he did. He didn't completely trash the guy. He said things like Carson Wentz is a good man, um, wished him well moving forward. But uh, I kind of appreciate the honesty from the owner as to pulling back the curtain a little bit and discussing where this move came from. I, I kind of agree, and, and it, it, it's rare for a for a owner, a coach, GM to 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 besmirch a player on the way out the door after he's out the door. At the same time, I, I've heard people say we need to know what went on here, and you know why isn't you know because all all we got from Frank and Chris Ballard in the two interviews after the the season w- was vagueness and non support. So finally, you've got the owner saying that you know he and he's being asked. He, he was being asked these questions. So of course, you know, on one hand, it, it's disingenuous of the media to say answer our questions. And then when he answers him, you don't like his his, his frankness. So uh, could Ursay have, have, have softened it some, I suppose? But but then maybe he's criticized for for not being specific on what was going on. He could have been more specific than he was. If he makes it soft, and you're like, well, then why'd you cut him after 20, just one 27 year? Twenty-seven and seven. Yeah, right. Because I I still say, and I'd, I'd love to have. I I was I listened in. I I hooked up with the uh, with Ursay's. 45 minute dealing. It was really, really informative. It would really be interesting to, to get either the owner or the GM and say, okay, let, let, let's say you beat Jacksonville, you, you beat the Raiders. Are, are we having this discussion? Do, do you move on from a quarterback who has all the same lack of qualities you want? But he got you in the playoffs. I think that would be really, really interesting to know how they respond to that. Right. right. But as we've said many times, and again, I had talked to Ursay the, the day after the season ended, and he was much more um, open and, and, and frank with things I couldn't use. But th- th- this, this was not Frank Reich's wish. Now, Chris Ballard, he's probably more was more on the fence about it. This is owner-driven. This is all owner-driven, and, and at least he owned it. Because he also said, you know, this is on me. I I, yep. I bear the responsibility. Yep. The buck stops here. And at the end of, of Frank Reich's lobbying for wins and Chris Ballard agreeing to it, who, who he, I'm sure he had to be talked into it. Some The owner signed off on it. Mm-hmm. So at least he said it's, it's on me. Again, I don't totally mind Ursay saying what he said. Uh, but but again, to say he's not the scapegoat, and then to say that basically things happen because of the quarterback, those 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 don't mesh very well. On the team's chemistry and really late season meltdown, uh, Ursay insisted he was not surprised by this late face plant. Said he saw signs of it through the season. Uh, "Quote: Never seen it in my life. It's just beyond anything. You know, there's something wrong." End quote. Next quote: "You search for the right chemistry with any team. If that chemistry's off." If it isn't there, it can be extremely detrimental and lower performance to a degree that is stunning, shocking. And Ursa did not specifically elaborate on how the chemistry was uh, askew in particular. Um, but if you look at this season, I, obviously you're trying to make moves to, to improve that chemistry, Joe. Carson Wentz is out the door. 
Um, other than that, there's not any real big names that have left. Um, they're trying to bring in, as you said earlier, some guys that might have some leadership characteristics as coaches, guys like Reggie Wayne and John Fox, to try to add something to the and locker Mike, room. Mike Mitchell. I mean, they're Mike Mitchell as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I personally think at some point you need players to be leaders, not just coaches. Absolutely. But something obviously needs to shift in in that locker room in terms of chemistry, according to Jim Irsay, about what he thinks about the relationship of the guys in the room. And hopefully Matt Ryan will be that guy for the Colts. I mean, really, the quarterback is the leader of the offense or is supposed to be the leader of the offense. And Matt Ryan, uh, you've heard nothing but good things from Atlanta through his many successful years there. Um, that's really the biggest move in terms of leadership that they've made player-wise because they brought in a new guy who's going to be the sheriff of the offense and run the whole thing. Um, so hopefully Matt Ryan will be able to give Jim Irsay and the Colts something that uh, he thought Carson Wentz could not. And one thing, I listened to the radio again today, which I spent way too much time doing. There was criticism of the Colts for, for getting Matt Ryan. You know, they should be getting that, that young Hall of Fame quarterback. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what you want. As we talked about this maybe last week. When you look around the AFC, all you see are these young guns. And there's five or six of them that you'd love to have. Yep. Well, first, you're not going to. And to get those guys, things have to happen. You have to have a pick in the top five or get there. And that guy has to be available. So all I would say with the Matt Ryan is he's, he's not – if you could pick a guy, he's not the guy you want. You want Joe Burrow. You want Herbert. You want Mahomes, whatever, Allen. But Matt Ryan gives you the, 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 the option of not trying to force it this year in the draft. He gives you two years. They, you know, they redid his deal. He's got $54 million guaranteed for two years. And then we'll see. I, I, as much as maybe he's the guy for the next four or five years, I don't think that's what they want. Mm-hmm. They hope that when the, his two years are over, they've got somebody in place. Can you imagine if, if Matt Ryan is everything they, they expect, they hope, playoffs and, and a deep run and then his contract's up he still wants to play what's it going to cost to re-up matt ryan with court with quarterback contracts so, it'd be cheap yeah no so i just defy anyone to say if you get past the 54 million which the owner pays that and they that, that's like four guitars <laughs> that, that, that he could get but but i defy anyone to say who was the better option as long as you're trying to stay competitive and you know are they a top Five team in the AFC, probably not, but they don't need to be. They need to be the top team in the AFC South. And uh, about that in particular, about getting Ryan and cutting Wentz, if it wasn't possible to trade him, uh, Ursay said, quote, it was really quite remarkable, a tribute to Chris to generate some strong trade interest and get the trade done with Washington and then come back and have another circumstance has happened that made Matt available. Um, that's something that has been mentioned by, I think, Ballard and Reich before. Like Matt Ryan was not on the table when they made the Carson Wentz trade. He became available later, and they dove headfirst in after that, it seems like, and they got him for, for one of those picks that they got in the Carson Wentz deal. This is identical to 2002 when they fired Jim Mora. And, well, you guys got Tony Dungy. Well, Tony Dungy wasn't available. Yeah. So, and Ursay talked about that yesterday, how you know they had no idea who they were going to get. They just didn't. I mean, even uh, Marv Levy's name was thrown around mm-hmm. as possibly a bridge to somebody. And then lo and behold, whatever it was, a week or 10 days after they fire Mora, 
Tampa fires Tony Dungy, and then it happened very quickly. So you you just never know, and and things had to line up. But I go back to the one thing that we've talked about, and Ursay's comments verify it. He 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 was committed to anybody, except Carson Wentz. So it didn't matter to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he had they had no options. That you know, there there was a report from a New Orleans writer that they had a plane ready to go to New Orleans to pick up uh, Jameis Winston for a visit, and then that was called off after the Matt Ryan thing happened. So you don't know how things are going to happen. And from a very very bad what Ursic called it a dark tunnel or dark hole they were going down all of a sudden they had light with uh with matt ryan and they struck the deal the colts also looked into bringing in a young quarterback talking about this young to to match up with all these other young gunslingers i wish you would mention the name uh yeah jimmer said declined to mention a name but said that there was interest in trading for a young qb but it would have cost at least two first round picks and the deal never really materialized. Who would that have been? I was about to say, put on your thinking cap, Joe. There's only two or three. The name that comes up in my mind is Kyler Murray. That's the one that yeah. I thought of, too. Uh, you know, he was made it clear he wants a new contract, not happy in Arizona. Arizona's not really ready to give him the keys to the whole state because he, you know, has been good, but not necessarily amazing within his first three or four years there. So um, that, that's who I was thinking of. But uh, the, the, the only other name that I could throw out there in the two first-round picks sort of negates it would be Derek Carr because there was talk with these these crazy fantasy things Well, all of a sudden McDaniel's going to go and get a Garoppolo. Right. And then if that's the case, then, he, then Carr's available. But do I give up two two? First-round picks for Derek Carr. What's happening to Garoppolo now, by the it's way? It's incredible. Good Lord. Incredible. Just poof, gone. The musical from, chairs, and he's the guy standing there saying, where's my chair? Like, hey, guys, what the heck? Him and Mayfield. Yeah. Both well, if not Garoppolo, then yeah. Trey Lawrence. I mean, what, what – uh, or Trey Lance. Uh, Trey, Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Yeah. What, what are they going to do with him? Or if if Garoppolo is still there, what do they do? It's, a, it's quite the conundrum. A pickle, maybe, if you maybe will. Maybe he and Baker Mayfield can have lunch one day and say, what's up with all this? What's the deal with that? Guys. Okay. <laughs> the Colts have been, uh, let's see, where are we? Defensive, uh, could be a defensive free agent signing coming. Also, uh, last thing from Jim Ursay. When discussing the defense in particular, Ursay said, quote, there could be, talking about a free agent, it would have to be the right price because we don't have much cap room. Ha! Which is not true. They have the third That's, most cap room in the league and, right and now. And they've got ways to create probably another right another $25 million if, if they, they really want wanted to. to. So that, that's just not true, again. But anyway, uh, it's an addition that excites some. Hmm. It says Chris Ballard is looking hard at that. And then finally, it has to be the right guy at the right number, but one more veteran possibly to come in and make a big difference. Hmm. Hmm. Honey Badger. Honey hmm. Badger. It's there's a lot of smoke on Twitter about the Colts and Honey Badger. Um, Julian Blackman not happy about that. Created by uh, Kenny Moore and Darius Leonard, I believe. Yep. Well, they also called him Julian. They, they called him Justin Blackman. Justin Blackman. Yeah. As well. So he, he, you know, not happy about that on Twitter, but yeah, I, I think Matthew would make the defense better. I do. I just don't know what you do with your three safeties now. Because Blackman's coming back from a was it an ACL, Patella, whatever it was, Achilles. I think it might have been Achilles, right? Yeah, so so we've been down that road about how you know he may, may does he miss the first month? Is he not ready to play the first month? Who knows? Does he have a season like Eric, uh, Eric, Eric Fisher, Fisher did? I, that I was know. certainly not up to par. 
and you know, I think I might have mentioned this last week. Now, within the span of like three years, he's both torn his ACL and an Achilles because he had the injury in college that made him drop in the draft. Um, so maybe they just bring in another playmaker and tell Gus Bradley to figure it out. Figure it out. Here, yeah. here, here's the playmaker. We know it. Use him. Maybe yeah. they use Kari Willis as a linebacker a little bit more. Uh, who, who knows? But I, I, I would be excited to see it. The only other guy I could think of is maybe I think Stephon Gilmore is still out there, and mm-hmm. he the corner. at least would fit a hole because the Colts need outside cornerbacks. Um, Gilmore, 31. I think Matthews is 29. He's approaching 30. Um, but both guys would be definitely make a big difference on that defense. And you're not looking for a five- or six-year guy. Right. Whoever you're bringing. You're, Two, you're, three you're, years. Correct. That's it. The Colts have been quite patient in free agency, and in fact, they've only signed one outside free agent this entire offseason. I mean, you've had deals to bring in Matt Ryan, which is a trade. Carson Wentz left via trade. Uh, you traded for Yannick Ngakwe. Like, there's a difference, isn't there, Chap, between guys that you sign in free agency and guys that you trade for in free agency? There's a difference, but because it shows, I think to me, it shows not the. Not the commitment from your GM. I don't think that is fair to describe that. Uh, describe it like that for Chris Ballard. Um, maybe you could also say it's the commitment that Ballard has to stick to his numbers. And in free agency, that's really not, I don't think, a recipe for success, especially and for putting your in control, the top tier players. Your control exactly. to, to get a big guy. Christian Kirk. What? That was ludicrous, what, the, the contract that Kirk it, got. It, it, it brought the... the, the Free agency receivers to to a standstill until yep. people got their their senses. I saw reports that teams were pissed about that contract. Well, it, 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 it's similar to Deshaun Watson. Yeah. If, if you're, it's funny. I if you're Lamar Jackson, you walk into the office and you put your feet on the desk and say, you know, I'm not saying I need a dollar more than Watson, but I don't want a dollar less. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just all it takes is one team. To, to, to totally skew the blueprint of how you do things. But when we talked about the Colts with their, with their four or five, whatever it was, major concerns heading into the offseason, they've checked off two. They have with the quarterback and with the edge pass rusher. Yes. Uh, now, whether I don't know that it matters whether, you know, like you talk, whether they get them with a trade or, or free agency, it's, it's cheaper with a trade, although you're giving up. Give up a third round pick and Rocky Sin for Matt Ryan and Yannick. I'd do that. I do day. that. I do that all day. Uh, but and I think one thing that they and they they signed the corner, which we'll see if he's. I hope he's in the mix at outside corner and not. He's got to start at this point. Well, right, but but Matt Pryor has to start at left tackle at this point too. That's a good point, and we'll see. But they've still got a handful of guys. Not a handful. Probably three or four guys that could be back here. I, I've not written off Eric Fisher. Maybe I should, but I haven't. I haven't written off Chris Reed. We'll see. Because uh, normally if guys were going to get those contracts, he would have gotten them. Uh, who came back late last year? Uh, Xavier Rhodes mm-hmm. came back, uh, which was which they he didn't have the kind of year you wanted, but he had T.J. Carey as well. So that, that can still happen. But we'll get into this. They just drive me crazy when they talk about not being more aggressive at receiver 
it drives me crazy the way they talk about they that. They seem so content with what they have at receipt. I, I hate the word content, but but that's that's how you you view it. They're mentioning and and Frank Reich when he's asked about this is mentioning guys like Mike Strawn and Des Patman, like that that you that makes you feel good about yourself. That, sh- that shouldn't make you feel confident about your receivers. No. Like it, maybe you feel optimistic, but anything but confident because these guys have done nothing in the NFL to instill any level of confidence. I just saw today as we taped this podcast on Wednesday, there's an article in the star written by Joel Erickson. He's got his face right there, you know, and it's talking about the uh, Colts have nothing at wide receiver. Something is the, is the headline, which Joel doesn't write. Somebody else wrote it, but like Paris Campbell tweeted out a, like a little picture or a little video of it like, with okay. the little, the little write it down emoji, like making notes. Of emoji, all the right people it. to criticize. I know. That story. That's the thing, he's, like, he's not one that should do it. Like I like, Paris. He seems so like a really I. good dude and he can do some really fun stuff on the field, but he needs he needs to not do that. He man. needs to be quiet <laughs> he and needs to stay be healthy. on the field and, sh- <laughs> and, and fulfill what everyone believes he can do. But even Chris Ballard, when we talked to him in the season was over, he said, you can't we can't expect, we, we can't count on him being, was it a three or, or a two or a three? Yeah. Because you don't know. And they continue to talk up T.Y. Hilton. They do. Joe and I talked about this last week, and I, if they re-sign Ty, it's got to be with the full understanding of who he is. Yeah, and, and what you're you're not <clears throat> getting Pro Bowl. Nope. Ty Hilton, you're not. You're getting a four. I, I, he can't be your three. No better than a you're three. Not I gonna, don't think so. You're not going to sign him to be a four. He's going to be one year he, for. And he, he's only in million. on passing downs, like for sure. Right. He's never in on a running down. So even re-signing Ty Hilton, if that happens, it doesn't impact what you have to do. They. There has to be when, when when they go out there September, barring injury, two of the top three receivers can't be here yet. They just can't. One in the draft and a veteran guy, and by by being quiet on that in that area thus far in free agency, they've let it really thin out. There's still a few guys I wouldn't mind, and Joe probably has people in mind more than I do, but they've totally let the the, the tight end market dry up. Yep, it's gone. So uh, I, I just I, I I I'm concerned that come October, November, December, they're going to say, "Boy, it's on us. We we should have done more at receiver because they've said that a couple times in the past." And you've got if you're investing all of this money and effort in your next two years in Matt Ryan to not give him the required help at the skill positions is just wrong. I mean. Uh- Talking about tight end, Austin Hooper signed one year, six million with Tennessee. You're telling me the Colts couldn't muster up six million dollars for a legit starting tight end who, by the way, used to play with Matt Ryan. Pretty sure he made a Pro Bowl with Matt Ryan and then got that big contract from. Now Cleveland. he signed with he signed before Matt Ryan signed. Uh, I think I he did. I think he so, did. But, but but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's, Evan Ingram signed one year. I think a ten mil. I was going to say eight, but 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 not. He was up to ten, not or something like that. Crazy, crazy, crazy money. So, and we don't know how these guys have have these guys graded and, and the value and all that. But to to be so quiet in two areas where they they've all admitted, you know, we need to add more of this, that, and the other. But then they say we like these young kids. I, I like what Ashton Doolin does as well, but all, he's got the one. Major catch. Des Patman's got the one major catch. They're so. beautiful throws, by the way, from Carson Wentz. Yeah, they just were. Throw. They were. <laughs> so, so it, it's just, and we'll see. You know, it's they've got a plan. You know, I, I hate to fall back <laughs> on that, but 
But if we're sitting here when training camp comes and we've got Michael Pittman and a second or third round pick and then T.Y. and the other guys. Paris Campbell and Ashton Duell. Then then they get what they deserve. I'll say this about Matt Ryan. I know you guys have all been waiting about with bated breath for my Matt Ryan takes. I like Matt Ryan a lot. I do. For his entire career, he's been throwing to a Hall of Famer whether it's Tony Gonzalez or Julio Jones, for his entire career, he has had someone who is the elite of the elite catching the ball from him. Gonzalez reshaped the tight end position. He was a unicorn and uh, was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Julio Jones owns the NFL record for... uh, Still a free agent, by the way. Who is still a free agent, by the way. You're right. Just throwing that out there. For... What is it? Most catches per season, or something like that. I think it's yards per game. Yards, yards per. per that's game. it. That's it. Thank you, Joe. Like it's, it's the active it's, record it's for yards. by like ten yards. Or yeah, something and like. by ten yards. You're right. That's a stat that we brought up in the past. Thank you for remembering. I'd forgotten it. So, so that's not for me to say. I don't like Matt Ryan. I think he's a very good quarterback, but he's also had someone who is absolutely incredible every year of his NFL career. He's also not had a running game. That too, you are so, correct. So it, it's a little he bit did for a couple of years with Devonte Freeman. But the last they four made the years, where they've had the where they've had the losing records. He, yes, they're, they're, they're like the worst in the league. You so. are correct. But everything you said is correct, and, and I'll go back to what I said. He is the absolute best option of bad options. So that I don't know if that's a backhand compliment or whatever, but I would much rather have Matt Ryan right now, can sit with everything than in, anyone else. Than anyone else. Yes. Baker Mayfield? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, 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 we're on the same page completely. I'd rather have Ryan than Carson Wentz. I mean, I think it's an. Uh, I, I personally right. think it's an upgrade. Dave is shaking his head no, but uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, yes. That uh, that I, I like. I said I've I, I've said too many words on this podcast about that uh, about that topic. I'm very eager to see what Carson can do with uh, Terry McLaurin in Washington next year. You know, one thing we talk about the receivers. Zach Pasco signed with Philly. Philly, mm-hmm. reuniting with Nick Sirianni. One year, 1.5. I mean, so they, they simply were done with him. And here's the deal. Chris Ballard, li- listen, Chris, okay? Right. You come out and you say, I love Zach Pascal. All he does is catch touchdowns. Man, everybody overlooking Zach Pascal. And then you can't give him more than one year, $1.5 to stay on your roster? Or you have. I, I I did not I shake my head when I see some of these and not and we don't know the reasons. Did they just? Yes, you want better, but until you get better, you know. I when I saw one point five, I thought that's almost veteran minimum. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of my point. Like my point is Zach Pascal was not that good last year. I think that Ballard is wrong about praising Zach Pascal as much as he did. Before that, I loved Zach, and I still do like Zach as a guy. I and mean, we haven't talked in person in a while because of you know COVID and all the rules changes. Which, by the way, we talked about earlier. Looks like media is going to be able to be in the locker rooms. Fans don't care too much, but I we promise do. you, yeah, we care a bunch, and I promise that we can get some better, unique stories that way. Anyway, um, so my my point was that, like, yeah, if you if you. If if when Chris Bauer is asked about the wide receivers and say everybody everybody overlooks Zach Pascal and then he just lets Zach Pascal walk, well actions speak louder than words. It shows you what he really thinks about the wide receiver room, and I really don't think the Colts think very highly about their wide receiver room right now, in spite of what they keep saying to us that way. Well, and George Odom didn't get a massive contract from the Niners. You're right, he did not. No, that may have been one where he was done. I think he was done. I think he he, he still had. 
animosity, bad feelings from from being lowballed last year, for lack of a better term, in his mind at least. Yes. Right, right. Uh, so, but but the the Pascal thing, I, I just scratched my head. I don't get it. Uh, it, it, it the only two, the only two things that are possible is the Colts had no interest in bringing him back, or Pascal said, "I'm done. I, I want out of there." Mm-hmm. And what one thing we're bouncing around here. But one reason that the Colts are saying, and I'll, I'll take them at their word, that they've not been more active in the receiver market is they were in on some guys, and that guy said, well, who's going to be throwing me the football? And they didn't know. Mm-hmm. So why would a guy come here with the idea that perhaps, worst case, you've got Sam Ellinger throwing him the football? That's a good point. So that, that, did, that had to have hurt him to some degree, to some degree. Yep. But there's still some guys out there, and like I said, if we're sitting here and this doesn't, and all all the additions are draft picks, then they're asking for trouble. Guys, I kind of get this feeling, and I wanted to ask if you guys feel the same. It seems like the Colts are kind of waiting on one more big free agent move before they kind of fill out the rest of the roster with depth signings, um, because it's just kind of perplexing. One outside free agent brought back. They've only resigned a couple. Uh, Mo Alley Cox and who else have they resigned? Uh, Pryor, Pryor, Matt Pryor. Meanwhile, they've lost three starters in a special teams All Pro and Mark Lewinsky, Zach Pascal, Alkadim Muhammad, and then George Odom being the special teams All Pro. So they have depth to fill on this roster. Um, it seems to me like, and maybe this is what Jim Mercy was alluding to with that difference maker on defense, someone who could get people excited about. It seems to me they're waiting to try and maybe trade or sign one more significant player before they kind of fill out the rest of the depth. Yeah, that makes sense to me, I guess. Because I guess. why else would you not kind of go out and sign backup offensive tackles, backup guards, more cornerbacks? I mean, there are... Isn't there are still a few tackles out there. Dwayne Brown, isn't he still out there? Dwayne Brown's still out there, and so is Fisher. So maybe they're waiting See, on... I, I, I... I can't get Fisher out of my head because I know Chris Ballard at the end of the season said this guy can still play. And yeah, he I, loved Zach Pascal too and wouldn't pay him $1.5 million. I hear you. I hear you. So uh, we'll see. I, I always – He said T.Y. Hilton could still play too. T.Y. still sitting out there, not with a job. He reportedly had a trip to Dallas, was it? At least he didn't sign there. So, But but these aren't, these aren't, these aren't the kind of moves that are, you're going to just shake your head and say, oh, boy, here we go. Now, a free agent guy, if you, if you bring in a Matthew or someone like that, you can't have too many playmakers. You can't. You, you find a way to use them. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I again, I do think we, we were talking when, when we initially went down the list of their free agents of their own free agents. There were like twenty four of them, and there were very few where you said, "Man, this guy, we they, they can't lose him." Right. But the problem is, a lot of those guys, they were like seven or eight starters. But by not bringing many of them back, you're you're really really cutting into your depth, not depth. You're you're gonna have depth, but your reliable depth. Yeah. So that that's that's why I think we'll see where this thing shakes out because I I do think that Chris Reed's a possibility, and we'll see about you know, they also re-signed Taekwon Lewis. They did bring back uh, Taekwon. But Kamoko Ture is still out there. I I don't know what to do with him. It, it it would have to be such a small contract to give him to think he's going to give you more. So, right. but we'll see fans are impatient. Media's impatient. You know, I, I, I get really impatient primarily because I, 
sign a receiver. And it's funny. <laughs> it, it, it's a running joke now with Ballard. It really is. He said, you know, you all just want me to sign receivers. Well, yeah, a couple. Yeah, we do. That'd be nice. <laughs> so, But I, I go back to the same thing where it, it makes zero sense, zero, to invest so much in your quarterback and with the idea that, that you're going to lean on Michael Pittman in, in, in the draft to give him – the kind of weapons. And again, let's say they sign Julio Jones. I'm not opposed to it. Just understand what you're getting. You're getting a guy that's been injured. Was it hamstrings he's been dealing with? He has missed seven games each of the past two seasons. Right. So understand what you're getting. And don't don't say, boy, we think this guy can be what he was back in, in the in the middle of his career. It's, it's similar to T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, is Julio Jones the next Andre Johnson? That didn't work. Didn't work. So uh, again, we'll, we'll see how it goes. All, all they've done is, is if nothing else, or very little gets done, then they they just set themselves up for criticism later on, which it's easy for us to do, but it's more detrimental to the franchise. And Joe had the the, the best line, uh, the best description of of the Carson Wentz thing not working, and they recouped. They they they, they came out of it smelling pretty doggone good, but they wasted a season. They wasted one of the greatest seasons by a running back ever, and you don't get that stuff back. There are options at receiver. We've kind of touched on a few of them. Julio Jones, one of them, who spent many years with Matt Ryan uh, in Atlanta. But last year, I mean, like I said, he missed seven games, but that means he played 10 games, and he caught 31 passes in those 10 games. He did have a 100-yard receiving game early in the season, so he can still do it in spurts. Would that have ranked second on the Colts last year, 434? Yep. Yes, it would have been. Sure would have. Um, I, I mean, I, I would be more excited for Julio Jones than I would T.Y. Hilton, if I'm being Agreed. completely honest. I agree. Uh, other receivers that are available, Odell Beckham Jr., who tweeted that he liked the Matt Ryan to the Colts deal, just throwing that out there, trying to wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Odell How's Beckham the ACL Jr. doing? Exactly. That'd be nice to know. <laughs> uh, he's 29 years old. Jarvis Landry is also 29 years old by the start of the season, uh, free agent out of Cleveland. Um, there's a bunch more. Cole Beasley, um, Will Fuller, Antonio Brown. Hey, nah. that'd be fun. <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders, Keelan Cole, T.Y. Hilton, Sammy Watkins, A.J. Green, all available wide receivers. I feel like Ballard's just going to sign Keelan Cole and be like, there you go, everybody. Exactly. He caught, that, he, caught, happy he caught that big fourth, uh, fourth, uh, fourth quarter touchdown for the Jaguars two years ago in the season opener. He makes ridiculous catches. I would not be opposed to Keelan Cole because uh-huh. he's a good – he's not someone you can rely See, on. See, now but... we're trying to talk ourselves into Keelan Cole. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, Keelan Cole's going to be on the horseshoe. <laughs> and I'd take, Jar- take Jarvis Landry because he's – Proven, not nice. at the twenty yeah. million a year. He oh wants. no no no. That's <laughs> see the, the the one thing the Colts have going for him is that the big money's gone. Yep. Uh, not by the Colts. I mean they they can sign whoever they want for whatever they want. But these players, I, I'll be shocked if if a player moving forward now gets that three year mm-hmm. thirty or forty million dollar contract because that 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 time generally has passed. What's left for the most part are the more disciplined teams who don't want to overspend in free agency. And so it, there's not going to be a real bidding war, you think, for some of these guys. I think I saw that uh, somebody put out there that the Jaguars set a league record. They did. Most guaranteed. It was 170 some million. Something stupid. And, and well. they, they broke the record of the Patriots last year of guaranteed money. Yep. So In Cleveland guarantee yeah. most money. Yeah, it, it's, it's just it, – it, it, like they say, you don't, you don't win the Lombardi in, in, in the offseason – 
but you, you, you can put yourself in position to win the one that counts by making the smart moves. And we go back, this isn't just a Chris Ballard regime. This, this is the Ryan Grigson as well. They just don't invest in free agent receivers. Andre Johnson, now he got pretty good money, guaranteed money. But I always go back and I bring it up every other podcast is that their best free agent guy since 2012 has been Donnie Avery. And it's such a you know low bar, but, but no one's really surpassed it with the Colts. We've uh, mentioned free agent wide receivers, some secondary guys, and we mentioned uh, earlier Jim Irsay is referring to perhaps a defender uh, coming in. Stephon Gilmore, Stephen Nelson, Janoris Jenkins, Joe Hayden, Kyle Fuller, Patrick Peterson, and Tyron Matthew all there uh, possible in the secondary. Uh, Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, certainly the biggest two names, and Stephon Gilmore uh, as well, I'd say. I'd throw him in there. Um, there's a guy who could certainly raise some eyebrows um, if Jim Irsay was to sign him. But um, And then also on offense, some left tackles still out there, Dwayne Brown, Eric Fisher, we've mentioned both of them already. Tight ends, Rob Gronkowski, Jared Cook, and Kyle Rudolph are all free agents is right now. Gronkowski's not re-upped with Tampa yet? He might be thinking that he might not play. I don't, I don't know. He'll come back in like late August. He just wants to skip training camp and yeah, party right. on the beach. And shoot a few more uh, commercials with uh, Federal Credit Union or whatever it is. You can't have Federal Credit Union. Yeah, yeah whatever come it is. On, yeah. I forget what it is. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you in the military? No, well, then you can't. You, you don't qualify. His agent must come to him and be like, hey, Gronk, I found another commercial where you look like a complete dummy. You want it? I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> Our NFL Draft Primer uh, continues this week with cornerbacks. Joe loves it. We are four weeks out from the NFL Draft. I believe it's April 28th is the first day, day one. Colts don't have a day one pick, as of now at least. Uh, don't anticipate them getting one, but nevertheless. Uh, we'll, Were they 70, uh, 42? 42, and mm-hmm. yes. 42nd. So I guess you could move into the bottom of the first round. but with they took Jonathan Taylor with the 42nd overall pick. Hey, true, true. All right, there you go. Then they moved up to, to, to get that, right? Yep. Yeah, two, three yep. or four spots. Yep. A couple guys, though, Joe, I think this is a really good top of the draft for cornerbacks. There's a couple guys in the first round that have some really good grades, but there's likely to be a couple guys there available in the second round if the Colts choose to go corner there. Yeah, and I'd almost argue outside corner is a bigger need than wide receiver. At least you have Michael Pittman Jr. you can hang your hat on. I, I guess the top outside cornerback for the Colts right now is Brandon Faison, who they brought over from the Raiders. Um, so it's really looking thin at that outside cornerback position. Remember, of course, Kenny Moore plays at nickel, that slot corner. Three guys who will, barring something catastrophic like an injury or a video of them smoking weed out of a bong or something <laughs> of that nature, which might not even do it nowadays. All right, who knows? Um, Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU, and Trent McDuffie from Washington are going in the first round. They're highly regarded cornerback prospects. And I'd be very shocked if they're available in the second. Some guys who could be available in the second round by the time the Colts are picking include Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson, Kair Elam from Florida, Roger McCreary from Auburn, and Kyler Gordon from Washington. Now, each of these guys kind of, of course, could sneak into the back end of the first round I think three cornerbacks taken would be a little slim usually four or five go but you know everything changes per year you never know what you're gonna get let's start with Booth um, Andrew Booth Jr. out of Auburn Uh, six foot nearly 200 pounds he has long arms which is important from 
for reaching out and breaking out those passes. I mean, one inch can really make a difference. 31 and a half inch arms. He did not participate in athletic testing at the Combine, but he does have five interceptions over the past two seasons and was first team all ACC in 2021. Um, some quotes here from draft experts. NFL.com's Lance Zerlin. Zerlin? Zerlin? Zerlin. Thank Zerline. you, Dave. Says, quote, he needs to play more football, but his ball hawking instincts, burst to close, and toughness and run support will be very appealing for zone teams looking for an upgrade at cornerback. And NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah says, overall, Booth is still a work in progress, but I believe he'll develop into a solid number two cornerback. Uh, Zierlein's comparison is Janoris Jenkins. Um, Booth is a guy who he just became a full-time starter this past year, so he does need more of that experience, but a very talented player who the Colts might take at the 42nd overall pick and hope that his best football is still in front of him. When it comes to cornerback, Mike, I, I always come back to the story about Kenny Moore, about how Chris Ballard has measurements that he likes with cornerbacks. Like you, They want them to be six feet plus. He wants them to have these long arms. Um, Kenny was nothing that, that Chris Ballard likes. He brought him in because he was forced to. Because there was no one else. Exactly, and, and he became, he became a, a Pro Bowl cornerback. But in situations like this, when Chris Ballard has much more of a say about who he brings in, you always have to look at those numbers. And Joe, you mentioned here he's a six foot tall guy, big long arms, thirty one and a half inch arms. Like those those are things they're gonna have to jump off the page, I think, when it comes to a guy that Chris Ballard is going to draft specifically to be a cornerback for the Colts. And, and what what will guess Bradley's impact be as far as what he wants? I mean, isn't he one of the, more, the bigger guys as well? Cover three. I mean, you think about that class. Faison is one of them. He's 6'2". He's, he's almost 200, 200 right. pounds. Yeah, six he's huge. Two. You think about that Seattle defense. I mean, Richard Sherman, 6'3". Um, they had big defensive backs playing for yep. uh, Gus Bradley's defense there. Um, uh, another guy here on the list, Kyer Elam, fits that bill. 6'1 191. Arms just a titch under 31 inches. He did run at the combine and he ran a four three nine forty, which pretty good, pretty darn good. He is tall and he is fast. He was second team all ACC in twenty twenty. SEC, SEC. I'm sorry, all I spoke on that one. Gosh, uh, six. I, d- I didn't want the SEC fanboys, Chris Hagen, to come and start a uh, oh, yeah, pitchfork start a fire here. in here yeah. or something. Uh, <laughs> Elam six interceptions in his last three seasons in college, but just one last year. Really not his best season, uh, and if. Zero line said Elam is next in line of talented Florida cornerbacks, but he failed to play his best football in his final collegiate season. Daniel Jeremiah said Elam isn't a perfect prospect, but he has starter ability in the right scheme slash situation. And Zero line compared him to Jalen Johnson, who's developed into a pretty good cornerback for the Chicago Bears. I'll just keep moving along. Yeah, here. go ahead. Roger McCreary. Not quite as big 5'11, which isn't tiny for a cornerback, but it's not necessarily a strength. 190 does have the short arms. They're under 29 inches. Ran a 4.5 flat at the combine, so not elite size, not elite speed, but a very good football player. First team All SEC in 2021, and was also first team All American uh, by the Associated Press and ESPN last year. He has six interceptions in his three seasons uh, at Auburn. Two uh, last year alone. He's been a three-year starter. Uh, with the Auburn team there, and Zierlein said, press man cornerback with physical limitations that could create occasional roller coaster matchups on Sundays. 
Daniel Jeremiah said, McCreary doesn't have elite juice, but I love his physicality and instincts. And Zerline compared him to Rock Yassin. Hey, Rock. A cornerback the Colts have been. Roller coaster. A roller, a roller coaster was. ride, absolutely. Roller coaster rock. Last guy here in this tier, Kyler Gordon from Washington, 5'11 and a half, 194, 31-inch arms, so another guy with long arms. He was expected to really blow up the combine, and he didn't. He ran a 4.52, which is not slow. Um, that's plenty fast for a cornerback, but it's not necessarily elite by any means. He was named first-team All-Pac 12 last year. He became a full-time starter just this past season. Two interceptions, seven passes defended in 2021. Zerline said, quote, Gordon lacks polish and needs to play, and needs to play with better route recognition and anticipation. But those elements, play strength and explosive burst, if those elements click, his ball production could be near the top of the league as one of the top playmakers in the game. Daniel Jeremiah said, overall, I believe Gordon will rise up through the draft process and become a day one starter. Zerline compared him to Byron Jones, a very good cornerback for the Dolphins, who was previously with the Cowboys. Um, I believe he's been elected to some Pro Bowls. Now, those guys, I'd be surprised if any of them made them out of round two. A couple more names I wanted to mention who, if the Colts decide to go with the cornerback, um, maybe in the third round or fourth round, depending. It's kind of hard to predict those mid-round guys. Totally. Um, but Martin Emerson from Mississippi State, another guy with length, six foot two, 200 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms. I mean, that's, that's offensive tackle-sized arms. He can really reach out and knock the ball away. Maybe he away. can play left tackle. Maybe he could. Just feed him. Just feed the man. Uh, four, five, three, forty at the Combine. Certainly not a special 40 time, but kind of in line with what a lot of these other guys have run, so that's not going to set him back. Um, became a full-time starter just this past year. His only interception came in 2019. Zerline said, long, finesse cornerback with traits and talent to compete in full field press man coverage. Bleacher Report said, Although he has scheme flexibility, he'll likely fare best in the NFL as a cover three defender. Hey. The same defense Gus Bradley is bringing to Indianapolis. And the guy who really intrigues me, Tariq Woolen from the University of Texas, San Antonio, six foot four, 205 pounds, 33 and 5 eighths inch arms. Ran a 4.26 at the combine. Lord have mercy. And Ooh. a 42-inch vertical jump. Just an absolute freak athlete. How about a two-way can play receiver, too? Oh, <laughs> glad you can mentioned that because he came to college and played his first two years as a wide receiver. Uh, just started starting at cornerback in 2020, so he's really just been playing the cornerback position for two years. Uh, Zero Line said, quote, he has an exceptionally rare blend of size, length, and speed to contest catches on all three levels of the field if the team can develop his technique. The Draft Network Network said, quote, he has the makings of a dynamic zone corner that can make plays on the ball, tackle, and situationally play press coverage where he already shows a willingness to crowd releases and cap routes. Zerline compared Tariq Woolen to Kevin King, cornerback, I believe a former first-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, who is another size, speed freak. I would think Tariq Woolen, you know, I do those little mock draft uh, things on PFF and yeah. whatnot. This is a guy that I take 
in the third round for the Colts almost every time just because I'm so You just intrigued. don't want to drop him to the fourth round. Want to get him there. Usually, I've tried. He usually doesn't make it to the fourth round in the little simulation there. But a guy that big, that fast at the cornerback position is a rarity, and I think he'd fit in this cover three scheme. They would just have to coach him up a little bit. The, the biggest question would be, is he ready to start year one because the Colts need someone to start year one? They do have this, uh, the one guy, um, who was the USC kid who took the year off for COVID? That's it, Ryan Veltel. has kind of been that, you know, that developmental corner they've had in the system for, for a little bit of time now. They did bring uh, him back. They did, exactly, yeah. They brought him back just, uh, just this offseason. Um, so, um, who knows, maybe he can, he would replace him in, or join him in that role of being a guy. But it's hard to take a guy in the third round and then really try to develop him because obviously Tell was taken, what, in the fifth, sixth round? That's much more of a developmental spot. If you take a guy in the third round, you want him to really contribute, I think. Um, so, yeah, maybe Chris Bauer thinks he can contribute, like you said. Fourth round, the better. Yeah. Uh, I just I just don't know how right. long a guy that big and that of fast course. is going to last in the draft. Completely. Uh, I'm completely on the same page. So. Um, that's Joe's primer on cornerbacks over the next couple weeks. We will do uh, tight ends and offensive tackles next week, April 6th. Uh, after that, wide receivers, the 13th. After that, quarterbacks, the 20th, leading into our final NFL draft preview on April 27th. Of course, plenty of other coverage from now until then here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as we drop, usually Wednesday afternoons, evenings here throughout the offseason, the quote-unquote offseason, because, in fact... The offseason program is beginning in short order just next month. April 18th or 19th. 19th. It is about three weeks away right now that there will be some type of activity out there uh, at Horseshoe Headquarters at the Farm Bureau uh, Training Center. And so um, Colts Blue Zone Podcast, your place to get the information you need. And you can find us in between podcasts on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for Colts news and notes throughout the week. For Mike Chappell, he's at mchappell 51 And Joe Hopkins at Roto Street Joe. I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveG underscore sports. We appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.